If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 701. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to be back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. Get that free class when you enroll. Ten Myths of American History. And also purchase a class or 20 there. I've got a lot of great stuff and more forthcoming this year. So you're going to want to be at McClanahan Academy on that email list as well. When you enroll, you get on that email list. I'll let you know about all kinds of cool stuff. So you're going to want to be a member of McClanahan Academy. And you're going to want these classes if you like this podcast. You can also support the show by clicking on that little super thanks button under the YouTube video if you're watching on YouTube, or you click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com, throw a few pennies my way either way, or go to anchor.fm, you can subscribe there as well. So lots of great ways to support the show financially. All those are important, but you can also rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review, comment on it wherever you get your podcasts or wherever you can comment that you love the show and you want more people to listen to it. Also, you can click on that shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com, get my logo and all kinds of cool, cool stuff. A lot of people buy the stickers, right? They stick them on their cars or wherever they can put stickers. And of course, that's great advertisement. And so you get people asking about it that way. So share it around on social media. Let your friends know they should think locally and act locally. That's how we grow the audience. All right, well, let's talk about the topic of the day. And uh, I'm going to kick off this week with this essay because everything else I talk about is going to be built on that. And some of it has to do with we're going to have our good friend Victor Davis Hanson again, back and prominently featured again this week. But we're also going to talk about a couple of people I've mentioned before, Yoram Hazoni. There's a great piece by Jesse Merriam this week I want to cover on Yoram Hazoni and his views of conservatism. And then uh, we'll, we'll look at Victor Davis Hanson. And then we'll also talk about a piece this week on originalism. You see, all these things work together. But the most important thing that I think we need to start with is a firm understanding about why all of this stuff, and I mean the anti-originalism, the leftism, the progressivism, why it all works. It all works because of something called emotivism. Now, if you don't know what emotivism is, it's essentially, and I'm just going to make it very simple, it's deeper than this, but it is basing your life and political opinions, whatever it is, on emotion. Very powerful thing. In fact, uh, I was uh, in a a uh, professional development, for lack of a better term, uh, activity in my day job, and it was on teaching, right, and education. And one of the things this this uh, organization brought up was that if you don't have an emotional connection to somebody, if you don't have that emotional connection well, then you're less likely to get through what you want to get through. You have to have an emotional connection. Well, why? It wasn't always that way. I mean, you can go back and people didn't have an emotional connection with their students all the time. 
But I think what we're seeing because of the changing demographics of society and because of also the changing nature of American society, emotional connections become that more, much more important. It's emotion that draws people in to get them to believe what you think. There's an emotional response. It's not logical. It's not rational. It's emotional. And so when you are talking about college-age students, and then, of course, any adults, anybody, if you have that emotional connection, with a, even with, but particularly with a particular group of students, it becomes that much more important. And that group of students, of course, is college women. And, of course, in colleges today, women are the dominant group. There are more women now in college than men. In some cases, it's you know seventy percent to thirty percent in some some organizations, some some institutions, right? It's it's huge now. In some schools, you still have it's about 50-50, but in a lot of your just liberal arts schools, you're looking at six out of ten, seven out of ten. So women are now dominating the college environment, and I think that's one of the reasons why emotion is much more important in teaching today than it's ever been before. It's not to say that women aren't rational, logical, and all those things at times. I mean, or, and men are not emotional at times. I mean, this, this is this is not to say that these things aren't true. But we do know that men and women receive information differently, and that they process information differently. And so, when you have these emotional connections, and emotivism becomes important, particularly when you start talking about culture war issues, it's an emotional response that people are drawn to in the culture war, particularly from the side of the left. It's emotional. It's not logical. It has nothing to do with logic or rationalism. It's, it's, it's emotional. This, this hurts. That's bad feelings, whatever. It, I, this gives me a bad feeling. I feel, I feel. I've talked about this on this podcast before. I feel is a dangerous thing to say when you start talking about society at large and how we're going to make policy decisions. I feel is not I think. And so when you're thinking you're you're not feeling, you're having a rational discussion about something or a rational thought or a logical thought. Feeling is something entirely different. It's a much more powerful thing. And so if you can attach people or and get to people emotionally, that's going to be more powerful than logically. Because logically doesn't always work with your emotions. In fact, Oftentimes, ration and uh, you know rationality and logic and don't go together with emotion. You might have to make a decision that's not emotionally good, but it's logical and rational, and it needs to be done. It's not going to appeal to your emotional sense, but it will appeal to what's in the best interest. This gets into you know you go back. People have been talking about this for centuries, right? You go back to the Stoics, and that was about logic and rationalism and less emotion. But we've gotten to be a very emotional society. Um, even, you know, look, it's not just women, but even men. We've gotten to be much more emotional. But when you start putting this into college environment and you have more women, emotions are going to be more important in how you think about things. So this piece that I want to cover is in The American Thinker. It's by Jack Cashel. And the title is, Why Educated Liberal Women Are the Real Threat to Our Republic. That term educated, of course, is also in quotations. Educated. What he means by educated, of course, is college education. And what do you get when you go to universities? Well, you're going to get a bunch of left-wing propaganda. You're going to get left-wing activism. And so this education becomes activism. Okay, And, and this he's not saying all college women. He's saying educated liberal women. 
which is not all of educated women, right? Not all educated women are liberal. A lot of educated women are conservative, uh, and they have a different view of things than educated liberal women. But there's a lot going on here with these women. Why is it that they do this? Why do they think this way? And I think this is an interesting piece because he says that this block of people is the most important political group in America. And I don't think he's wrong about that. And if you look at how decisions are made now, you look at the post-Dobbs, who are the ones out protesting more than anything else? Well, college-educated, liberal women. wasn't a whole lot of men out there. But this is, and it's energizing that group. And so the Democrats know if they can energize that group of people, they can hope to win more elections. What happened in Virginia is very interesting with Glenn Youngkin. He captured this group because he was able to appeal to something else. But it wasn't, it was college-educated moderate women or maybe maybe conservative women that voted in larger blocks because they were concerned about their children in schools. And, and Cashel makes a very important distinction here about women, educated women. It depends on if they have a marriage or a family or not and how they're going to do things. Right? That does matter. So he says, when last Thursday night Joe Biden told America Donald Trump and the MAGA Republicans threatened the very foundations of our republic, he missed the mark. The real threat comes from the unlikeliest of suspects, educated liberal females, or ELFs for short. These are the women who will proudly vote Democrat regardless of soaring inflation, rising gas prices, rampant crime in the streets, the unchecked flood of illegal aliens, and oppressive COVID policies that have irreparably damaged all children, the poor most notably. And I think he's right about this. This is a group, a voting block that will do this. And he's going to explain what he thinks is the root cause of this. If NBC's polling from April is to be believed, this is the only demographic cohort more favorably inclined to Democrats in 2022 than in 2018. This is the only group that's more favorably inclined to Democrats, college-educated liberal women. That's it. All other groups have abandoned Democrats except this block. And so he says, this is why the Democrats are doing what they're doing. They're not stupid. They know who to appeal to, and they know how to do it. It's on emotivism. It's on emotivism. Now, he's saying it's paranoia. Paranoia. They're worried about you know, the, the, the MAGA boogeyman behind the corner, right? They're worried about these people because they think these are the real dangerous people in America. You see it all the time on social media. Something happens, it's got to be a it's got to be a, you know, pro-republican white guy. And of course, a lot of times it comes out that's not the culprit, right? And they don't know what to do about it. Because it doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't fit their emotional narrative that makes them feel better about themselves and their beliefs. Because this is an ideology. And the ideology has to fit. What has to happen is that this has to fit their beliefs. Whatever happens to society has to fit their beliefs or it threatens their very existence as who they are. This is something Lincoln pointed out in the 1830s. We have to have a secular religion. I think what's happened for a lot of progressives in particular, but these college-educated liberal females, is that religion has become, uh, government has become their religion. Their ideology is their religion. They worship it. And it has to fit. The society has to fit their way or they lose semblance of who they are because they don't have much else. And that's something that Cashel talks about. Unable to sell these women on his accomplishments, there are none. Biden last week appealed to their paranoia. What made this pitch strategic is his target audience's proven susceptibility to fear-based propaganda. 
fear-based propaganda, an emotional response. I'm afraid. Right? It's an emotional response to something. It's not a logical response. Because if you look at logic, they wouldn't be afraid of these things that he's talking about. They wouldn't be afraid of the other political party. They wouldn't be afraid of people who don't think like them. They wouldn't be afraid of that. What they'd really be afraid of is not being able to pay for food or drive their car or the crime that could affect them. We have just saw that last week with the crime and horrible situation with the woman who was abducted and murdered in Tennessee. I mean, this is this stuff, we, we should be afraid of these things, right? Not something that's an abstraction. But you see, he's appealing to abstractions. Why? Because most leftists deal in abstractions their entire life. It's an abstraction. Something. It's, there's nothing real about this. It's an abstraction that they're worried about. We're worried about this abstract thing that has no impact. At the core of the ELS vulnerability is their ignorance, if not at the top, certainly among the masses. This should not surprise. Everywhere and always, men have performed better on political knowledge tests than women, just as conservatives routinely outperform liberals and independents. Researchers exploring this particular gender gap long ago gave up on questioning whether this was, whether this was true and have focused instead on why. Why do men perform better on political knowledge tests? Why do conservatives perform better than liberals? And so what you look at that, if he's saying what you have here is conservative men perform the best, then liberal men, then conservative women, then liberal women. Why is that? Why is this the case? You also, I've seen lots of different polls and people, their perception of people in society and leftists have this very strange skewed perception because it's based on ideology. It's based on abstractions. And they consume a lot of mainstream media. That's another thing. And most of them have went to a college or a university where they are indoctrinated. This is the whole point of what I do with McClanahan Academy because I try to get you... I mean, look, people can... This can be undone. All this stuff can be undone. But it just takes work. And one of the things I'll, no, I'll note about this also is that what's happening here is the Biden camp and the progressives are always campaigning against something, not for something. Now, we can say that the, and this is a very emotional thing, we can say that the right will do this sometimes too, right? They're campaigning against something, not for something. When your entire position is negative, it creates these negative positions, and of course that creates angst and fear and anxiety, and you ha the, the, the negative, ha we have to do away with the negative. And the negative is Donald Trump. If we can just get rid of Donald Trump, everything's going to be okay. Well, Biden essentially brought that out. Well, it's not just, it, no, look, it's MAGA Republicans. They're a threat. But then, wait a second here, I, I'm not saying that MAGA Republicans are a threat. It's the ideology itself, which isn't really an ideology. But it's that that's the, that's the problem. Or it's some, meta, it's some group, some abstraction that's causing problems. What's they're, they're missing? If you can just campaign against the boogeyman, then of course you can get people to vote for you all the time. All the time. So, this is interesting in how all this works, right? But this is what happens when you have emotional based arguments. So, Cashel says avoiding the obvious answer, namely that men and women being different have different interests. Researchers have spent millions of your tax dollars on the improbable and irrelevant. Among the more popular hypotheses is that women are more risk-averse than men, and thus on tests are less likely to guess under conditions of uncertainty. For some reason, it is more acceptable to stereotype women as risk-averse than as politics-averse. In fact, 
women writ large are likely both. A survey of 10,000 individuals across 10 nations by the Economic and Social Research Council offers a more sobering analysis. What most surprised researcher James Curran of the University of London was that gaps in political knowledge are wider in countries that have done the most to promote gender equality. Curran noted that women's scores in the UK, the US, and Canada are more than 30% lower on average than men's, a significantly greater gender gap than in Greece, Italy, and Korea. So in places like the US, the UK, where people spend a lot of money on getting women interested in politics and government and all these things, and, and of course, gender equality, whatever that means, women perform worse in these situations. And I think there's something to do with that, again, with the culture war. It's about being against something rather than being for something. And they're against these abstractions in society that supposedly are working against them. Whatever it is, the patriarchy. I mean, take your pick of whatever term they're going to use in these things. When in reality, these fences that were put there a long time ago were always there to protect them. That's what they miss. And all of this, the fences that were built were to protect women from men and essentially men from women. But I mean, more women from men. They were there to protect women. That's what people don't realize in all this. And so what's happened is, particularly with liberal women, educated liberal women, they, they subscribe to the completely ripped up fences, whatever that is, that society that they ripped up the fences. Conservative women tend to kind of view the fences as still being important, and at times you've got to have the fence there. The liberal women don't want the fence there at all. And so you have all these things that are there actually hurting them whether it's hookup culture um, and all that is involved in that, um, whether they're told all these promises about how great life will be if you don't have a family and all these things. This is what women are told, and so they become more and more susceptible because they don't have the permanency. They don't have the stability. None of that exists anymore. They become more and more susceptible to these things, and I think it's affecting men too. I mean, it's not just women. The men that believe in all the ripping up the fences, they, they fall prey to these things as well. The permanency, the traditionalism, the permanent things were there to protect each group of people from each other. These things have been developed over years to do that. So I think some of that is involved in this. The ESRC data suggests that formal education may actually increase the knowledge gap between men and women. There are reasons why this is so. Historically, married women have tended to vote more conservatively than their unmarried peers. Spousal influence plays a role in their voting, but so does the added awareness of real issues that comes with raising a family and owning a home. But wait a second here. This is because of the permanence. They tend to want permanence and protection and stability. That becomes important to people when you start throwing those things in. A house is a permanent thing. It's stability. A family is stability. You want those things. And everyone really wants them. They just haven't figured. And we, we've been, a lot of people, young people in particular, and it's sad, have been told all the ripping up the fences has promoted a much better society. When all they're doing is re, what people are realizing it's produced, it's worse now. It's worse for people. To take away all of formality and all the things that were involved, it's worse. Because all that's happened is you've attacked something and not replaced it with anything. You just ripped up the fence and not asked why. Why? I mean, why is the fence there? Well, the leftist response is, well, that's to promote the patriarchy. That's to promote this, you know, this group oppressing this group. Maybe the fence was there for something else. Maybe it was there for protection. Not oppression, but protection from something else. 
right? And I look, I mean, this this is something that's bigger. This is part of the culture war, and I think there's something involved in this because if you're if you're in favor of the fences, you're for something, which is tradition. You're for those things. You're for peace and security. You're for stability. You're for the permanent things. That's important. So Cashel says, Today, however, more than a third of college-educated women are childless. Then, too, marriage rates among the educated continue to decline as they have over the past 40 years, while the age of first marriage continues to increase. In 2021, the average age for a male, female's first marriage is 28.6, roughly nine years more than 60 years prior. Now, we can talk about whether that's good or bad for society for people to wait or not to wait. Uh, but regardless, he's saying, look, marriage rates are down. Child rearing is down. Child bearing is down. There's no permanency. See what happens there. You're still out in the world, right? There's no permanency. There's no stability. There's nothing. For a long time, men viewed their remote, one of the most important jobs is protecting women. They protected them from other men, from society at large, and the things that happen. And if you go back and look at the debates about, say, women's suffrage, for example, a lot of women brought this up. If you, if you put women into the political world, it's going to be open them up to abuse. This is one of the main arguments they made. They don't need to get in that world. They don't need to be part of the gutter and the sewer and everything else. They don't need that. They have a lot of power in their own home, over their own children. Why are we throwing them into the wolves in this way? This is what men do. But you see, it really is all about power at the end of the day. But women made these comments. And we see the results of that. Uh, and we now have a society where everyone's involved in all these things. And so the barriers are broken down. All of the fences are gone. And we see how that affects people. Is it good or bad? I mean, we can make determinations based on that. But, of course, a lot of times if you make a determination that's not politically correct, uh, you because of the tyranny of the thought police, well, then you are going to be raked over the coals. Even if the data supports something, you can't say these things anymore. In the not-too-distant past, women attended college with the expectation of finding a spouse. Today, they would much have much better luck hanging out at a construction site. As late as 1970, there were five men for every four women in America's four-year colleges. By the fall of 2021, there were almost two women for every man, and that's even more. So it's, he's saying men are about 30, you know, 33%. Uh, in some places, it's even worse, right? It's 30%. Uh, I mean, this is, you know... Six women for every four men. It's, you know, something like that. Some cases it's seven to three. It's different. Once in college, the progressive grooming that began discreetly in high school now publicly and proudly moves to center stage. A study of faculty voter registration at 40 leading U.S. universities showed a more than 10 to 1 ratio of Democrats to Republicans with the numbers skewing higher in liberal arts and among young faculty. In some fields, there are no Republicans at all. And what are those fields? Of course, they're the soft sciences, the social sciences, social work, a lot of times history. These are the things that are now skewing towards the activists. And of course, their, their main objective is to indoctrinate people, is to get more activists. That's what they want to do. It's not about understanding history or looking at things. It's about getting activists out there to go out and do something, to change the society. 
lacking a male counterpoint in their lives and often majoring in subjects with a social justice agenda, college women enter the political arena not so much uninformed as misinformed. Given that communications journalism faculty members skew 20 to 1 Democrat, the media these young ELFs consume will only reinforce the biases nurtured in college. Well, exactly right. So, I mean, look, young people go to college and they are just, I mean, they're indoctrinated, right? It's the whole point of McClanahan Academy, to get out of the indoctrination. That's why I did it. And I'm not only doing history, I'm doing other stuff, but this is the point. The ELS fail to see how they have been propagandized. They read the New York Times and other establishment media, thinking them gospel. Those ELFs less keen on reading rely on media outlets even more biased than the Times. As to friends and family who offer alternative points of view, there is the knee-jerk fallback. Where did you hear that? Fox News? ELFs don't want to know about the border crisis or the recession or Hunter's laptop, and their media oblige them. If their social media allow alternative voices to bleed through, the ELFs are the first to demand that those voices be silenced. Again, it's not just women in this. I think that there's also a lot of men doing this too, but this is progressivism for you. It is the biggest echo chamber in America. And this is what Biden's speech was all about. It's about appealing to his echo chamber, right? It's about appealing, getting college-educated liberal women organized and... and uh, and motivated to go out and vote. That was the whole point of that speech. You have a boogeyman, go take him out. Whether it's true or not, nobody asks. The danger that ELS posed to constitutional government became all too evident in the black swan year of 2020. With the onset of COVID, elves quickly found themselves in the grip of what Belgian psychologist Dr. Matthias Desmond calls mass formation psychosis. Writes Desmond in his surprise bestseller, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, quote, It is, in essence, a kind of group hypnosis that destroys individuals' ethical self-awareness and robs them of their ability to think critically. I think it's, it's yeah, it's a motive. It's a motive, right? You can go back to Alastair McIntyre and read about emotivism, After Virtue. It's a great book. It talks about emotivism. All these things are emotive. They're not logical anymore. We're, we're living in a society of emotional reactions, not logic. Not rationalism, but emotion. And because of emotion, which is a more powerful, more powerful thing than logic or rational thought, this is what happens. We see things in bad and good, black and white, evil and, and good, whatever it is. We see it that way, instead of looking at all the nuances and seeking to understand what's happening here. And we ignore the things that don't fit into our worldview because they don't give us the same emotional response. Devoid of ethical self-awareness, it was the ELFs that emerged as our Karens. Well, this could be Yankees, too. Right? There's a certain part of Yankeeism involved in all this as well. The desire to control other people. It has to. So Yankees always wanted to do. What made them truly annoying was their belief, given their education, that they knew more than the people they were hectoring. They didn't. If proof were needed, a study of 35,000 U.S. adults by Franklin Templeton Gallup revealed that a shocking 41% of Democrats believed that 50% or more of those who contracted COVID ended up in the hospital. The correct answer was 1% to 5%. So again, bad, it's misinformation that they get. Though their control of the teachers' unions, elves have outsized influence on Democrat Party politics. Deeply misinformed about COVID's impact, elves used their influence to lock down schools as long as they possibly could. 
school kids, especially less affluent, will never recover. And this is, I mean, look, there are situations where kids now are a whole year or two behind where they need to be. Reading, math proficiency, all of these things. And they're just being pushed through because, well, we can't do anything about it now. They're just going to be pushed through. we got to try to catch this up somehow. COVID did this. The lockdowns did it. Not COVID itself, but the re- response, the government response to COVID did this. Not the virus. The government's response. It's always been the issue here. In her essential book, The Bodies of Others, Naomi Wolf reveals how her affluent liberal tribe behaved during the COVID years. It wasn't pretty. These new authoritarians resisted information outside approved channels and smugly oppressed the working people who dared question the orthodoxy du jour. Wolf documents and lived experience what Desmond describes as a profound intolerance of dissident voices and pronounced susceptibility to pseudo-scientific indoctrination and propaganda. I mean, look at what... Of course, Tom Woods has been all over this since the beginning, a lot of libertarians, but look at what has happened in social media. For years, if you said masks don't work, well, they banned you. Now the government has said masks don't work. And so, of course, we have a situation where all that's open now. You can say that on social media all you want. Masks don't work and nobody cares. The vaccines, it was that if you said the vaccines uh, aren't going to protect you overall from COVID, that, that could get you banned. Now you can say that and it's no big deal. See, what's happened is right? The emotional response was, we're afraid of a virus. We're afraid of all this because 50% of the people are ending up in hospitals. And we saw the dead bodies and everything or heard the stories in Italy where you had a lot of elderly people. And we don't want that here. So we're going to lock everything down and create this environment. And it's going to be, we're going to be totalitarians, many totalitarians. It was an experiment, I think, in a lot of ways to see what people were willing to put up with. And now as people resisted to a point and Michael Malice tweeted about this. He said, you know, you know COVID is over when nobody jokes about the queen dying of COVID. Nobody talks about this anymore. It's over. I don't even know why Drudge Report still has a, COVID, a running COVID number on their website anymore. I mean, it's just, just people don't care. It's completely over. People still get it. People still get COVID now, just like they got all kinds of other viruses and other things before. And people will still get sick and they will still get very sick from this at times. And they might even end up in the hospital and some are going to die. That's going to happen, just like it does with the flu and other things. It's just something we tend to accept. It's a, it's a, it's a part of life. People get sick and die. People get sick, and they get, they recover or they don't recover. And this is just something that happens. In May 2020, as a joke goes, people had to take down their COVID decorations to prepare for George Floyd season. My office in Kansas City overlooked the staging area for the largely peaceful protests that would ravage our city. On that first day, I watched young men with out-of-state license plates unload heavy backpacks from their cars. They knew what they were doing. The elves didn't have a clue. That evening, driving home, I passed the park where the protests were, were gathering. protesters were gathering. To my surprise, the crowd was overwhelmingly white and female. The unintentional death of a chronic felon at the hands of four police officers of three different races in a progressive city in a democratic state was indicative of nothing. George Floyd did, however, cry out mama at the end, and that was prompting enough for the elves to get swept up in one more self-destructive mania. Right, I mean, he's saying, at the end of the day, this was indicative of nothing. It didn't indicate, but so we saw the emotional response to this. Well, what's causing? Well, it's white supremacy. Yeah, we got to take all the Confederate stuff down now. We got to take the statues down. We got to do. We got to get rid of symbols. We got to get rid of the patriarchy. We got to get rid. So the the that was a way to push 
emotivism. And it worked. It worked because, again, emotion is stronger than logic. The men who would do most of the damage in the streets, two billion of it nationwide, but the, the men would do most of the damage, but the L's would do the lasting damage to our institutions. Those with access to Fox Nation would do well to watch Tucker Carlson's interview with Nicole Levitt, a liberal family law attorney in Philadelphia. In the immediate wake of Floyd's death, her organization, like others everywhere, showed its commitment to social justice by creating what Levitt calls, quote, a racially hostile work environment permeated with discriminatory insults and stereotypes. Levitt had the courage to blow the whistle on this malice nonsense. None of her colleagues would back her. So there's a woman, she works for a, um, a Jewish organization, I believe. And um, she's, after, I mean, you got, if you're a white person, you have to sign a document saying you're going to be racist no matter what. I mean, this was all kinds of, this is what this organization was doing. And she said, wait, this is not right. This isn't, this isn't really liberal. This is something else. And she was, she was disciplined for it. So she's suing. And um, we'll see what happens. She filed an EEOC. Uh, she used the EEOC to her, to try to get this through, right? Civil rights legislation. Women may, in fact, be as risk averse as researchers suggest. How else to explain, for example, the silence of so many female Ivy League swimmers forced to compete against a male? Here, too, pseudoscientific indoctrination and propaganda overwhelm common sense. And this is just one recent mania out of many. Right, so I mean, you have, why didn't women speak out of that? Because of the university environment, because of the academy, because they're told if you say anything, well, then you're just, you're a racist, you're you're a sexist, you're, you know, you're a phobe, whatever it is. If you say something, well, this isn't really fair. This man is going to be, he's cleaning, he's wiping the floor with us because men and women have different physical capabilities. Uh, and this is why we've always had women's sports and men's sports, because, well, women can't really compete with men. Uh, even even uh, male, if you have male athletes and female athletes who are well-trained, the men are going to be much, much better. It's not that women athletes aren't good athletes. And women athletes, superior woman athletes, is going to outdo a male that's not trained or uh, doesn't have the same kind of, of, uh, of uh, physical capabilities, whatever it is. But when you take a top male athlete and a top female athlete, there's no competition. It's not even close. So... But we've been told, because of all the things over the years, well, they're just all equal and everything will work. Well, this is that happening. And some women are standing up to this, but the liberal, college-educated liberal women are not. Because of indoctrination, he's saying. Again, why are the fences there? To protect women. In November, Biden needs the elves to vote in mass. This will happen only if they remain ignorant of the things that should worry them, the border, crime, inflation. This is true and scared silly of things that need not. Something tells me that the producers of Biden's Nuremberg-style spectacle knew what they were doing. I think so, right? It's to organize and, and uh, energize what he calls the ELFs, or ELFs, you know, Educated Liberal Females, ELFs. So this is a really interesting piece. I think it's something that, um, again, maybe 100 years ago, when suffrage was still being debated, would have been much more uh, popular then. But this is heretical in so many ways. You're actually challenging the orthodoxy that there's something to this. Now, he says this is not even this is not even debatable in academic circles. They know what happens. But they're just trying to figure out why now. Why are these two things? Why is this a disconnect? All right. So, 
Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Brian McClanahan Show. We're going to talk about some of this stuff in other pieces this week. I'll see you tomorrow. See you then.